The following program is a PBS Wisconsin original production. So when I say that my opponent has told sloppy and irresponsible lies, I mean that in every possible way. That doesn't sound truthful to me. The nation is watching Wisconsin as the candidates for the state's next Supreme Court justice participate in their first and only debate. I'm Frederica Freiber. Tonight on Here and Now, we look at what went down at the Wisconsin Supreme Court debate and the attack ads hitting the airwaves. Zach Schultz reports on the lesser-known race in the state's 8th Senate District, plus a look at a GOP-led proposal expanding one area of Medicaid. It's Here and Now for March 24th. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin. Janet Protasiewicz and Daniel Kelly met Tuesday this week for their only debate of the Supreme Court election, and they spent most of the hour accusing the other candidate of being a liar and a threat to the court. Like prize fighters entering the ring, Daniel Kelly and Janet Protasiewicz descended opposite sides of a curved staircase on their way to the debate stage and then spent the next hour hitting each other with verbal blows. I am running against probably one of the most extreme partisan characters in the history of this state. Again, this is you being quick to lie. This election will determine the ideological balance of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And as it became the most expensive Supreme Court election in United States history, it became more and more partisan, with a heavy focus on topics like Wisconsin's 1849 abortion ban. But I can tell you that if my opponent is elected, I can tell you with 100 percent certainty that 1849 abortion ban will stay on the books. I can tell you that. Take a look at Wisconsin Right to Life's website. There's a picture of him as their endorsed candidate with the language that he has pledged, pledged to uphold their values. Justice Kelly, your response. Yeah, that's absolutely not true. Once again, so this seems to be a pattern for you, Janet. Just tell him lines about me. So you don't know what I'm thinking about that abortion ban. You have no idea. The accusations of lying and slander covered topics like what promises they made to special interest groups, whether their campaign ads are distortions of the truth, and whether electing their opponent was a threat to democracy. Andrew Hitt, who was the head of the Republican Party, testified in the January 6th hearings that he had extensive conversations with my opponent, extensive, extensive conversations with him about the fake electors. He is a true threat to our democracy. Justice Kelly, you have a 30-second one. Sure. So once again, they're lying. Um, so you might not know this, uh, but the Republican Party had multiple attorneys. His, his testimony was he had extensive conversations with his attorneys, plural. The debate ended as it began, with no handshake, and the campaigns arguing that the other side was lying. 
It's not just in person that these candidates spar. The negative campaign ads are flying fast and furious in this high-stakes, high-cost race. The airwaves are flooded with ads from liberal candidate Janet Protasiewicz, who's outspending conservative candidate Daniel Kelly. But one ad from Kelly harkens back to a presidential election 35 years ago and an advertisement well-known for its appeal to racist fears over crime. Bush and Dukakis on crime. Bush supports the death penalty for first-degree murderers. Dukakis not only opposes the death penalty, he allowed first-degree murderers to have weekend passes from prison. One was Willie Horton, who murdered a boy in a robbery, stabbing him 19 times. It was the Willie Horton ad from the George Bush campaign in 1988 that sunk candidate Michael Dukakis over a prison furlough program. Now look at this ad from Daniel Kelly. Daniel Kelly and Janet Protasiewicz on crime. Just as Kelly supports enforcing the rule of law and keeping our communities safe, as a Milwaukee judge, Janet Protasiewicz has a long history of letting dangerous criminals off easy. The 1988 Willie Horton ad mirrors the Kelly ad in production style, but Kelly's ad does not include the mugshot of the black defendant. Here to talk about this, UW Lacrosse political science professor Anthony Shurgoski. And thanks very much for being here. Thank you. So, as a political science, uh, what was your reaction when you saw the similarities between those two ads? I was very intrigued by it, Federica, because the Willie Horton ad has been extensively studied by political scientists. There's evidence that the Willie Horton ad activated racial attitudes. In other words, when the Willie Horton ad ran in the 1988 presidential campaign, it made people start to think about race and take race into consideration in a way that wasn't true before the ad ran. And so for that reason, the Willie Horton ad is viewed as one of the most famous or infamous ads of all time in presidential election history. Were you surprised when you saw kind of the production style similarities between the Willie Horton ad and the Daniel Kelly ad? It certainly fits in with Dan Kelly's emphasis on crime. We know that the Willie Horton ad was all about crime and trying to create this sense that if Michael Dukakis was elected, then there would be rampant crime all over the country. And it made people fearful of crime. And again, it activated those racial considerations and those racial attitudes, just as it reactivated those feelings about crime. So to me, the big difference is the lack of a mugshot. That is the big stylistic difference between the two ads. It also, it just fits in with this broader theme on crime. We know that Dan Kelly wants to advance the narrative that Janet Protasiewicz is weak on crime. And so he hearkens back to this classic ad that really made people think about crime in a very intense way. And yet there's a, a whole generation, at least, of people who've really never heard of Willie Horton or that Willie Horton ad. So is this appeal to an older demographic? It could be, Frederica. It could be a, an attempt to create some buzz. It could also just be an effort to maybe get people thinking about politics in a way that they thought about politics long ago in 1988. In the 80s, things were much different in terms of people's racial attitudes, how people thought about race, and how people thought about crime. It was a different context. So this could be 
kind of an effort to recapture some of that context from the 80s to remind people of what life was like in the 1980s and to make people scared of going back to that type of situation and just to create buzz. We know that Dan Kelly has been outspent by Janet Protasiewicz. Dan Kelly has not run nearly as many commercials as Janet Protasiewicz has. One way to respond in that type of environment, one way to deal with that type of environment is to try to create some buzz, some word of mouth. And that might be what he's trying to do in, in this situation. So we know that, that this particular Dan Kelly ad does not show the mugshot of the black defendant, but there are third party groups, of course, uh, that are airing ads on his behalf that do, in fact, uh, there's one showing two shadowy mugshots uh, of black defendants. So has the Willie Horton race card playbook reemerged in high stakes races in Wisconsin? It's interesting, Frederica, when we look back at some of the research on the Willie Horton ad, we know that it activated people's racial attitudes in the context of the 1988 campaign. But when it was called out for being racist, when people started to ask questions about the Willie Horton campaign ad, then the effect of the Willie Horton ad actually diminished and people's racial attitudes became somewhat less relevant in how they thought about the situation. So this could could be what happens this time around. As people are maybe subconsciously thinking about race, it has some particular effect. As people think about race in a more concrete matter, it could have a different effect. We know that that is exactly what played out in 1988, where racial had this race, uh, racial attitudes had these underlying element of people's considerations, and then when the ad was called out for being racist, then people started to reject the ad and started to think about the ad in a different way. In terms of this Dan Kelly ad that we're talking about, we wanted to do just a little mini fact check. These are only 30 second ads, but the ad says that this defendant faced 60 years in prison. In fact, the defendant faced five years in prison and five years on probation uh, after the charges were amended down. Protosiewicz gave him one year in a medium security jail, but the full 10 years if he was revoked, and that apparently now a revocation is in process and this defendant is in jail. So there's the full story, right, that you can't get into a commercial. Now, one Protosiewicz ad accuses Kelly of corrupt corruption for stepping aside from a case and then joining back in after getting campaign contributions from the family of a party in the case. But the Kelly campaign calls this assertion of corruption a lie saying he only rejoined when he lost the 2020 election and then he didn't go on to rule on the case. So these ads from the candidates leave out detail, of course. Uh, but what are voters to make of these attack ads on both sides? The big problem is that they do leave out that detail. And Frederica, with record spending on this campaign, we have shattered the existing record for the most expensive judicial election ever in United States history. We know that the attack ads are going back and forth, and we know that those ads leave out a lot of context. It's up to the voters to make an informed decision, knowing that the 30-second ads are not the most reliable indicators of how a judge might operate when they are in office. You have to put these ads into context. You have to understand the facts about these ads because the spin doctors are out there trying to influence people with these 30-second commercials. Professor Anthony Shigowski, thanks very much. Thank you.
On April 4th, Wisconsin voters will elect a Supreme Court justice that will determine the ideological balance of the court. On that same day, voters in the northern Milwaukee suburbs will elect a state senator that could determine something equally as large, whether Republicans in the Senate hold a two-thirds majority. Here and now senior political reporter Zach Schultz has the story. Oh, hi, how are you? Hi. I'm Jody Yavish Seneca, and I'm running for Wisconsin State Senate. I'm Dan Canodal, state representative, so running now for state senator. The special election in the 8th Senate District has the potential to be overlooked on April 4th. After all, no matter the outcome, Republicans will still control the legislature, and Democrat Tony Evers will still be governor. If Dan Canodal wins, he will become the 22nd Republican in the Senate, giving them a two-thirds majority. But Republicans would still be a couple votes shy of two-thirds in the assembly, so there's no threat of them being able to override a veto from Governor Evers. Wisconsin is, in fact, at a tipping point. But Democrat Jody Habish Sinekin is trying to convince voters the outcome could impact the entire state. I have some literature if I could give to you and just uh, impress upon you the importance of the April 4th special election. Sure. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. That's because a two-thirds majority in the Senate would give Republicans in the legislature the power of impeachment, the ability to remove civil officers of the state from office for reasons of corrupt conduct. I would hope uh, voters do have that in their mind. I will put it in their mind because it, it is important. Dan Canodal would be the 22nd vote, and he's eager to test out the legal limits of impeachment, even if any attempt would likely be challenged in court. I think we have to be honest and say that that is likely. I have requests out uh, right now from people who are more uh, constitutionally scholarly than I am to, to tell me, well, give me an opinion on what this authority uh, might provide. A 2014 memorandum from the nonpartisan Wisconsin Legislative Council makes clear the term civil officers is not defined. So the first question is whether this would only apply to appointed cabinet-level officials or state board members, or whether Republicans could try to impeach Governor Evers or Attorney General Josh Call or a member of the Wisconsin Supreme Court. That's the question. And that may, we may not know the answer unless we test that and use that authority and see how, how it shakes out. But I will initially look at it that really could, could involve any elected official, particularly elected uh, officials, uh, government officials as well, pointed. So I would think it's, it's all, I view it initially as all-encompassing. Those type of shenanigans, those political games of impeachment, whether they're tied up in court or not, I, it's not what we need in Wisconsin. A win by Habish Sinekin would take impeachment off the table. Oh, good. Hi. But that's not what she's campaigning on. And I just wanted to see if you were supportive, um, if there's issues you are interested in talking about. Well, what issues are you running? I'm very much running on women's right to choose and have health care options. Like Democrats across the country since the fall of Roe v. Wade, she's campaigning on abortion. What I am continuing to hear, the gravest concern to folks is women's right to choose and women's health care options in general. That's really been number one. And to me, being pro-life is a positive thing. Canodal has been in the assembly for 14 years and has represented large portions of the Senate district over that time. He says that representation extends beyond those already living here. 
So I believe I need to be the voice of not only those that are adults, you know, so we, but, but younger people and the unborn. They don't have a voice. Republicans in the assembly recently introduced a bill that would provide rape and incest exceptions for abortion in the first trimester and clarifies when an abortion can be performed to save the life of a mother. I don't think people uh, give enough credence to the current law, which protects the life of the mother, which is a, a, main, a main factor. So, but I am also, uh, I do support rape and incest exemptions. The bill will go nowhere, as Governor Evers promised a veto, and Senate Republicans said they won't even take it up. Habesh Sinekin says even supporting the assembly bill puts Canodal out of line with most voters. What they don't appreciate is that Canodal, who is my opponent, is extreme on abortion. The 8th Senate District has been a safe Republican seat for decades. Republican Alberta Darling held the seat for 30 years, but she resigned last fall, setting up the special election to fill out the last two years of her term. Over the last six years, the seat has followed the path of suburbs across the country and shifted more Democratic. I'd have to admit, it, it's certainly there's, there's a shift that has been going on. You just look at the election uh, cycles. Canodal says some of that shift has been people moving out of Milwaukee to get away from crime. And nobody can deny that there's crime, rising crime problem in the city of Milwaukee, and that extends out into the suburbs, and so we, we feel that. Habesh Sinekin is also talking about crime, but says Republicans are to blame for shortchanging shared revenue, preventing cities from hiring enough police officers. This legislature, really under my opponent's watch, they are part of this problem. They are not providing our law enforcement with what they need to keep us safe. Canodal has a different solution to battling crime in Milwaukee. He wants to see the Senate use its new impeachment powers to target Milwaukee County District Attorney John Chisholm. I've had statements before calling for his resignation. Just don't feel that, and when we see the revolving door, that's what comes to in Milwaukee, and we, we see the court cases, we see the aftermath of people getting out without with low bail, uh, specifically, and causing even more harm, uh, that's a problem. And that goes to the prosecutor. It's a classic move to point to an individual, a representative, trying to keep our community safe and blame them for the very things that their policies are causing. Reporting from Germantown, I'm Zach Schultz for Here and Now. A Republican-authored bill with a number of co-sponsors on both sides of the aisle would expand postpartum Medicaid coverage from two months to a full year. Under current state law, medical assistance, known as Badger Care in Wisconsin, is available to those with an income up to 300 percent of the federal poverty level. This bill, if passed, would seek permission from the federal government to expand the same coverage for 10 additional months. Here and now, producer Marissa Wojcik spoke with the bill's author, Republican Senator and Majority Caucus Vice Chair Joan Balweg, to learn more. Senator Balweg, thank you so much for doing this. Very good. Happy to be with you. I first want to ask, why is it necessary to extend Medicaid benefits to postpartum mothers up to a year after giving birth? 
Absolutely. So what we've heard from, from uh, the advocates for that population of folks is that the continuity of care is something that we're really concerned with. Uh, many times through pregnancy, there are um, health conditions that individuals may see are exacerbated um, during their pregnancy. And so we want to continue to have those folks monitored. And those, those changes don't necessarily uh, go away after 60 days, which is what current state law is. Um, also, uh, there are some things that can come up a little bit later that are never, that are never uh, usually in the first 60 days, such as depression issues, which many times aren't, aren't popping up until either three to six months later. Um, the other thing we want to make sure is uh, this youngster is getting off to a good start because they're being covered by that first year. So we don't want uh, new mothers to have the stress of having to figure out how to continue their care if uh, they are no longer covered. And so it just causes additional stress um, you know, for that care. And we want to have new moms in their first year to be the best possible parents and be able to focus on that, on that little person. And what kind of benefits will this give both pregnant and postpartum mothers? Well, it won't make any changes for pregnant women or the first uh, 60 days. Because in Wisconsin, we do have a pretty rich benefit uh, with coverage of 306% of the federal poverty limit. When you go past the 60 days, then it would fall back to what everybody else is at uh, 100%. So we have this more generous um, means of taking care of our postpartum moms. So that would be the, the biggest difference, so that they would be able to continue that with the healthcare providers and the programs that they had set up during their pregnancy and the next couple of months postpartum. Wisconsin Republicans generally have not been in favor of any Medicaid expansion, talking about um, growing entitlement programs. Does this have broad Republican support in the Senate and Assembly? It does have broad Republican support, and it has broad support overall. We have um, 66 co-sponsors to our legislation this year. Um, I think this has been a bit of a um, learning curve for some of our members, you know, to understand what that relationship is and, and how this can strengthen families. It's something that I've been working on for most of the years that I've been in the, the legislature, um, strengthening families, strengthening that bond, understanding that the, the beginning years um, of uh, a child's development are, are so important uh, moving forward. Uh, we have a very broad coalition of sponsors uh, from not only the legislature, from uh, sponsorship around uh, Wisconsin. It's just uh, a very wide group of folks that have really come to understand the importance of the, the long-term care of, of moms. And the United States and Wisconsin are not doing a great job when it comes to maternal health. Um, there was just a new CDC uh, report that came out that the United States is even falling farther behind when it comes to developed countries. And Wisconsin is in the same condition. So 
I think people are starting to realize that it's, it's time to provide this, this help. That CDC report came out recently, but showed that in 2021, the United States saw the worst maternal mortality rates in the yes. country's history. Um, so without the ability to seek abortions for the health of the mother in Wisconsin, is this legislation enough to take on these significant mortality rates? Well, we're talking about mortality rates for, for new moms, for people who have gone through pregnancy, and that's, that's our focus. So for these babies that are coming along, how do we keep their families strong? How do we keep mom in the best health means as possible moving forward and to avoid some of those, those issues that may have been exacerbated by the pregnancy, um, hypertension, um, uh, cardiac issues, all of those kinds of things. We have women nowadays that are interested in starting their families a little bit later in life uh, than maybe we had before. And of course, those are folks that have uh, more experience in life and maybe have <laughs> had a little bit more um, uh, health concerns along the way. So I think we need all we can do to support um, those folks. What do you say to your Republican colleagues who aren't on board with this? Hmm. Well, I think that the number one thing I try to point out is that um, you know we are pro-life. We do see that uh, we want to support uh, new families, in, encourage folks that want to build their families, and how do we how do we do that in a in a productive way? You know, be able to help um, those folks that are a little bit lower in the the economic strata, to provide them with some help that they can grow their families, you know, grow their um, financial support, you know, moving moving forward. So this is a this is a good thing overall for uh, Wisconsin for families. I just think it's the right thing to do. For more on this and other issues facing Wisconsin, visit our website at pbswisconsin.org and then click on the news tab. That's our program for tonight. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Have a good weekend. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin.